Welcome to the Giving Voice to Depression podcast, produced in partnership with Mental Health America of Wisconsin. We are your co-hosts, Bridget and Terry. Each week through intimate, candid conversations with guests, we explore different perspectives on and experiences of depression. We keep it real because the illness is real. We keep it hopeful because there truly is hope in spite of what depression tells you. We are not experts or therapists. We're sisters and best friends who live with depression and have interviewed hundreds of others who do as well. By sharing stories of lived experiences, we expose depression for the lying bully it is. Hi, Terry. Hello, Bridget. Today, we continue our discussion with Deb Sherwood, an accomplished journalist and suicide loss survivor. Eight years ago, when Bob, her husband of 31 years, took his own life, she was advised to keep the cause of his death a secret, and she did for about a year, a decision she now regrets. If you did not hear her first episode, Keeping a Suicide a Secret, it's well worth 20 minutes of your time. In this episode, we will address the importance of words. After a death, we've all been at a service, funeral, or celebration of life and found ourselves at a loss for what to say. Some comments feel trite, while others too vague or too invasive. Does it really matter anyway? Are the things that we say even remembered? Deb Sherwood knows that suicide has historically been a taboo and stigmatized topic, but not understanding how someone could reach that level of despair is no excuse for careless or hurtful comments. And she heard many from mental health and medical professionals, as well as people who'd been friends for years. Deb has felt the sharpness of both sides of stigma's double-edged sword. You know, I've once said, just don't tell anybody because you'll ruin his professional reputation. So you... You really kind of learn what the stigma is all about. Mm-hmm. And then when you do open up about it, when you do start to say, this is what happened, that's when the hard truth of why people say there's so much stigma attached to it. You know, the comments and questions have been quite unbelievable. We're sharing these quite unbelievable comments in the same spirit we've discussed that it's no longer acceptable to use the verb commit before suicide, or to call an attempt successful or unsuccessful. It is either a suicide or a suicide attempt. There can be harm in labeling it beyond that. Words matter, and the more conscious we are of the ones we choose to use and their potential effect on others, the more careful we can be with our choices. That, of course, includes medical and mental health professionals. There were some doctors that were terrific, and I had some horrible experiences. Tell uh, me a bit of both. Yeah. I, uh, like I said, my primary care, who was Bob's as well, was terrific. Mm-hmm. Uh, incredibly supportive and whatever I needed, empathetic and um, whatever I needed, he was there for me. And I saw a psychiatrist. Mm-hmm. The second appointment, she said, you know, it's important that you take all the pictures that you have of him, anything that reminds you of him, and either get rid of it or put it into deep storage. You know, you've got to face the fact that he's out of your life and it's time for you to move on. This was how soon? Oh, uh, 
you know, maybe a month or something after the fact. I mean, it was shortly oh. after. And I thought, oh, wow. And as I was walking out to my car, I thought, you know what? She's right. I do need to move on. But from her, not from Bob. Oh, good for you. So I never yeah. saw her again. Good. Uh, found somebody else, uh, and I've been working with him ever since, and he's terrific. Good. But, I mean, that's kind of when you first open your eyes to it. Deb's eyes were opened further by another medical professional who asked her, as a grieving widow, a series of insensitive questions. I told him about the the loss, and and his questions were, why do you still wear your wedding ring? And this was maybe, you know, in this case, maybe a year after the fact. And I thought, I, I said, you know, we didn't divorce, he died. I may never take my ring off. Mm-hmm. And then he said, how could you not have seen it coming? <gasps> and I'm thinking, you know, how is this even possible that somebody's asking me that question? I get the question, but why are you asking me that? I mean, what does it have to do with how you're going to treat me, first of all, you know, as a patient? But why would you ask that? Oh, that makes me sick. Oh, it was it was striking. It was just like I cannot really believe this is happening. And then he asked me why I allowed guns in my house, and I said, it wasn't my house; it was our home. Uh, you know, as journalists, we used to go to the gun range a lot, and and we were often in like training sessions almost with law enforcement, and it was a really bonding thing. Um, so it was a part. We weren't hunters; he never hunted. We just liked target shooting, so it was part of our life. And we had several guns, and it was sort of like. But why, again, are you asking me these kinds of questions? At one point, Deb went into a partial hospitalization program. The first thing the group leader asked her was to describe the scene when she'd found her husband's body that tragic afternoon. Yeah. And I just ran out of the room in tears. I mean, it was sort of like, oh, why? She switched us, you know, she really changed my life and not for the better because I struggled with PTSD after, you know, finding him and all that beforehand. But after that question, I no longer just went to that mellow scene that I saw when I first walked in where I didn't really recognize. I now went straight to everything unimaginable that you don't ever want to see. And it, like I said, it really changed my life. Uh, traumatized. Absolutely. Oh, this was a therapist? Yeah, absolutely. Deb surmises that her background as a TV news reporter and anchor might account for some of the callous comments she's received over the years. After all, it is the visible part of the job for a reporter to witness horrible events, freshen her lipstick, and then calmly describe them to an audience. And I... I think part of it is the fact that when you work in news and you're on camera, you learn to kind of put your own stuff on the back burner Mm -hmm. and just, you know, come across like everything is okay Mm -hmm. because that's what you have to do. So I think people felt like they could say these things to me and I would be okay with them. And it's sort of like, no, just because my face is saying I'm okay doesn't mean I am. And I expect medical people, especially mental health people, to be receptive to that. Mm -hmm. But that really wasn't my experience. 
I don't even know where to go. I'm, my head is just spinning for you. I would like to say that I think my circumstances were unusual. I, you know, all the other people I've spoken with, nobody has ever had an experience like I've had. And I just didn't have the one that was one after another, after another, after another with doctors and, and friends, you know. So I'd like to say that I think a lot of people handle it better than the people I had associations with. And, and again, I just think it's a way I kind of come across that I'm strong enough, I'm dealing with it, so I can say what I want to say without thinking. As a journalist, Deb honed the ability to step back and see a situation from other perspectives. So Deb understands curiosity about suicide, but not the total lack of empathy and boundaries. People just don't get it, and they have a lot of questions, and I do get the questions. I have them too. I had them when I covered, you know, suicides as a reporter. But, you know, sometimes you just have to be smart enough to think if the person wants to tell me they will, you know, I shouldn't intrude anymore than than necessary. Mm -hmm. Even longtime friends made comments, many adding to Deb's considerable pain, some extreme enough to end long-term relationships. Loss upon loss. One of our closest friends, I mean, 30-year friendship, was a very, very well-known and talented man. And when I told him, he just said, I'm really sorry I ever considered Bob a friend. <gasps> I, he took a, the easy way out of a difficult situation, and I expected more of him. And it was sort of like, okay, I get that you're feeling the loss too, but... How do you think that helps? Tell your spouse that. Tell somebody at work that. But why would you say that to me? Never talk to him again. You know, so a 30-year friendship is, is gone in, in an instant. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If the insensitivity of these comments is disturbing you, imagine their impact on someone in shock and grief. But when you start telling people, people go through things like, boy, I guess you didn't have the kind of relationship you thought you did, or he never would have done what he did. And so much for the life insurance. And it's sort of like, oh, my God, if you think that is my big concern is life insurance at this point, you really don't know me at all. Mm-hmm. And life insurance paid. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not a cut and dry thing in that regard. But so I sure didn't tell her that. Uh, other people, well, it's too bad he's going to hell. Oh, my gosh. I am so sorry. So these things add to your trauma, correct? Absolutely. Shockingly, Deb had more examples to share. But we're anxious to get to the comments that help heal and open dialogue if and when the grieving person is ready to share. Starting with the unoriginal but does no harm sentiment. Sorry for your loss. I mean, you want to be able to say more than that, Mm -hmm. but what more can you say? I mean, honestly, Mm -hmm. you know, you can have conversations, but that's in person, in private. It's not done like at a funeral, in my opinion, you know, anything like that. Deb shares a great suggestion that her sister, a retired RN, learned from doing hospice work. And she said one of the things that she's really learned that instead of saying, you know, what can I do to help, that you say... Can I come over on Tuesday with dinner and then help you with the laundry? Mm -hmm. 
instead of saying, what do you want me to do? How about I do this? And I want to get that kind of stuff out to people. So if we're going to say, if you don't have words, just say, sorry for your loss and leave it at that. Or be specific with what you're willing to do to help somebody as opposed to handing it to them and saying, call me if you need anything. What, what more? Well, one of the things that I kind of read about is that a suggestion was to have people that were close to the person write something about them, mm-hmm. you know, memory or memories. And a very, very good friend of ours who worked with Bob at WTMJ many years ago, and uh, he was incredibly helpful. Um, but he then reached out to a number of people that we knew and said, would you write something? And so I've got this wonderful, yeah, you know, kind of memory booklet that, that I can share with. Uh, we didn't have children, but he did in uh, previous marriages. And um, I can share with them and say, you know, these are just some things and some of the memories I didn't know about. I never had heard the stories before. So it was really kind of warming to hear that and have it that I can pick up whenever I want to. You know, it's 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 helpful. It's not just words that are in my head, but mm-hmm. it's I can reread it mm-hmm. uh, whenever I need to. So if somebody isn't organizing that and putting together, you know, a, a compilation of those memories, just sending that note in your sympathy card or whatever, saying, I want you to know this happened, or here's a way he touched me, or a funny story, or whatever. Absolutely. Okay. Who wouldn't want to hear right. Right. that, hey, you know, your grandpa, your dad, your sister, uh, your friend had this kind of an impact on me, mm-hmm. um, and it really made a difference, uh, not just in your life, but in mine. So, I, yeah, I, I'm a really strong proponent of that kind of a thing, just letting people know that there is more to that person than that final action. Since we're addressing the importance of words and respectful questions, it wouldn't hurt to be sensitive to the fact that the person or people left behind after a suicide have lots of their own questions. But it's an issue that you've got no answers for. I mean... I can't ask Bob, what were you thinking? How did it feel when you were, you know, made that decision? I can't ask him that. You know, I have to just imagine it. And, you know, who knows if I'm even close to being right with it. But I think you just have to kind of come to your own conclusions about what really was happening. And I think you need to be honest with yourself about what you did or didn't do. You know, we I think everybody goes through... You know, what did I miss? What should I have said? What didn't I say? Uh, what should I have changed? Uh, if I would have just stayed home that day? Believe me, those things go through your mind and will never stop. But I think you also have to forgive yourself and go, I would have done whatever I could have done for the rest of my life for you, but I don't have that choice anymore. It's just unconscionable. I mean, I'm, it's just perhaps perhaps a tool, um, you know, to like think before you speak. And if it's not two of the three that I'm about to list, simply don't say it. And um, those three things to consider are, is it true? Is it necessary? Is it kind? Hmm. And if it's not two out of three of those, is it true, is it necessary, is it kind, don't say it. 
Deb, I am so sorry that you had to deal with all of this horrendous experience. It's just, you know, what happened to do no harm? Right. Or to keep it even simpler, what our mom always taught us, right? If you don't have something nice to say, don't say anything at all. That's right. One thing Deb did talk about that was extraordinarily helpful, in fact, she called it the most helpful thing for her, was being part of a suicide support group. Because there, nobody's questions are coming from a point of morbid curiosity. And all of the things you say are understood. Everybody understands that experience because they share it. So Mm. I want Ron to recommend that to anybody who happens to be in that same horrible position. She found it very helpful. And if a therapist doesn't feel right, if it doesn't resonate, you know, do exactly what Deb modeled and just, you know, don't go back. There are other people to try, and I understand that can be a, you know, laborious procedure sometimes, but don't stay with somebody who doesn't resonate as, you know, healthy and helpful. Yeah, or isn't respecting your grief or your pain or you as a human being. So absolutely. And that's true whether or not you've experienced a suicide, that your therapist and your doctor have to be fits for you. And your support group. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Deb. Yes, Deb. Thank you very much for sharing your experience with us. And we wish you nothing but the best. And thank you for helping us all learn perhaps how to be more compassionate and sensitive in the future. We truly hope that our podcast brings a little more understanding, helps you better articulate your experience of depression, or better understand how to support someone else's. We invite you to join us for daily posts on the Giving Voice to Depression Facebook page and on Twitter and Instagram at Voice Depression. It is a comfort to be among fellow travelers on Depression's Dark Road. And remember, if you're struggling, speak up. If someone else is, listen up.